Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. And we, you and I, we need to be about our King's business until he returns. And beloved, the king is coming. The king is coming. There's no doubt about it. If there's anything that you can hold on to in your life in the midst of every battle that you go through, every temptation that comes your way, every disappointment, every ache and every pain and every sorrow is the understanding that no, our king is coming back. We are in a temporary time here where our king has gone. We're to be about his business at this point in time in our lives with the full knowledge, with the full understanding that at any moment, at any day, our king will return. Jesus told his disciples the parable of the Minas, where servants were given money for them to invest well until their master would return. In the same way, today we also face that mission. Our king will return. What have we done with what he has given us? He has the expectation that the gifts that he has blessed us with will be used to benefit his kingdom. Pastor David will challenge us to think today, in the end, is our life going to be rewarded or wasted? Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, A Life Rewarded or Wasted? How many of you got pretty involved in watching the Olympics? You were pretty well dialed in, you, you enjoyed seeing it and everything. You know, the Olympics are a whole array of different contests that they're in, sometimes teams, sometimes individuals. The thing that gets me the most, and uh, my wife and I, we talked about this, I think, a couple of times, watching the ones on the hurdles, okay? So you've got uh, these barriers that you've got to run and jump over all these barriers. And it's absolutely amazing. You get all the way to the Olympics, and on your qualifying run, you knock over every one of those stinking hurdles. You know, you think, oh my goodness. And even some on the final race, uh, several of the hurdles were knocked over. Believe it or not, every one of us are in a race. I'm not talking about the human race. I'm talking about a real race that you and I are in. And yeah, there's a lot of hurdles that are in our races. As a matter of fact, you might call the race that we are in, not just a hurdle race, but for some of you, it's a marathon, right? And actually for some of us, it's like a steeplechase. There's all kinds of things that are in our way. There's all kinds of barriers in this race in the kingdom of God that we are involved in. Some of your races, man, I can't imagine the stuff that you go through. And I just praise God, that's not the race that I'm in. Some of your races from the outside, it looks, wow, they've got a pretty smooth, easy course to go. But The fact is, is we don't see all that is going on in the midst of that race. Every one of us have hurdles. Every one of us have barriers within the race that's set before us. But each one of us are called to run that race with patient 
endurance. This morning, I'm going to start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I know we're in a study in the gospel according to Luke. I understand that. I understand that on Wednesday night, we're doing Corinthians, but I want to bring your mind to this verse first as we set the stage for this morning's teaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 29, the apostle Paul writes to that Corinthian church the importance to run the race that's set before them and to run the race in such a way as to win the prize. He writes, beginning in verse 24 of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You need to understand here, he's not speaking about a works-based salvation, that you've got to do all these works so that at the end you finally get salvation. He speaks here about the great reward that awaits those who are faithful to the call that God has placed on their lives. It's a reward for being faithful in doing the Father's will in this race that we run. Let me ask you this morning, and this is the very point of the entire message, is the race that you are running going to be a race that is rewarded or is it a race that's going to be wasted? Here in Luke chapter 19 is where we're at this morning. I invite you to turn. Luke chapter 19. Jesus was coming to the end of his final trip from Galilee to Jerusalem. He'll not see Galilee uh, again and prior to his crucifixion. He's coming into Jerusalem. They're preparing for that last week before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion and his resurrection. Here in chapter 19, we see that he had been ministering to some men there in the area of Jericho. But what we are going to see is as this week increases, as the timing of this week continues on, his ministry actually is going to increase and, and the dynamics of it and the intensity of it, again, as the time comes to the point of his arrest, trial, crucifixion, and resurrection. He had been there in Jericho, and remember, that's where he healed blind Bartimaeus, and that's where he ministered to wee little Zacchaeus. Remember, we spoke about that last week. And again, they both had this divine encounter with the Lord. Now, following the commitment of his life to the Lord, Zacchaeus' life actually demonstrated a dramatic change. We read about it last week. If you back up to verse 8 there in chapter 19, you see his words to the Lord. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. You see, this man's life changed. You know, just prior to this, Luke says, man, he was a tax collector. We know the, the wickedness of the tax collectors of the day. Again, the whole thing we went over last week. We also know that he was rich according to what Luke tells us there. Well, he had to be rich if you look at what he's going to be doing. He's going to be paying back all those that he took anything from. Half of my goods I'm going to give to the poor. And those that I took anything from by false accusation, I'm going to restore them fourfold. 
So the guy is totally giving of his life. He's pouring his life out. His life has been changed because he had that encounter with the Lord Jesus. He's no longer the same man. Jesus now continues on in his conversation with his disciples, understanding what's in the heart of the disciples at this point in time. Look what it says there in verse 11. That's where we're beginning this morning. Verse 11, Luke chapter 19. Now, as they, speaking of the disciples, heard these things, and I believe that's the statements and the testimony of Zacchaeus, Jesus spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they, the disciples, thought that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. The disciples actually believed that once Jesus got into Jerusalem, that that would bring about the rise of his kingdom, that at that point in time, he would come in with great authority and power and begin to set up his earthly kingdom. This is the mindset that they've had all through this time. And even though Jesus time and time again had told them, no, once I get there, I'm going to be arrested. I'm gonna be put on trial. They're gonna crucify me, but that's okay. I'm gonna raise again the third day. Went right over them went right over them. Why? Because they knew for certain that once Jesus got to Jerusalem, no, that's when he's setting up his kingdom. That's when the kingdom's going to start. That was their anticipation. And as often as he had shared with them that the course of events there in Jerusalem had already been laid out, they had already been purposed by God, they continued to look for him to set up an earthly kingdom now. And so in his desire to counter all of this misunderstanding that they had, Jesus shares with the disciples this parable, beginning in verse 12. He says, therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so he called 10 of his servants and delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. Point of this whole parable is again to encourage these disciples to continue on in faithful service to him because what they imagined was going to happen wasn't going to happen. As a matter of fact, their world was gonna be flipped totally upside down and Jesus was wanting them to understand, no, they need to continue on in the master's business even when he's gone. They needed to continue business till Jesus returned. Now you and I need to specifically pay close attention to this parable. This isn't a parable just for the disciples back 2,000 years ago. The fact is, is you and I right now, we're right in the midst of the fact that the nobleman has gone away and he's not come back yet, and you and I are still called to do business until he comes. We're supposed to be right now actively involved in his business, in the kingdom's business, until he returns. His words to his servants were, do business till I come, or as the King James Version says, occupy till I come. These 10 servants of the king, they were given 10 minas, one mina apiece. Now a mina is an amount of money that's equal to about three months wages for a normal Roman soldier. Or you might just say three months of an average man's wage. Each one of them were given that. No merit to it, each one were simply given 
one mina, three months worth of wages, and they were to invest it, they were to spend it well, and again, that they might be able to reap a benefit in the midst of that. Now, you can't miss the importance of that command, and I'm gonna keep hammering back to this throughout the morning. The servants were called to occupy or to do business until I return, and we, you and I, we need to be about our king's business until he returns, and beloved, the king is coming. The king is coming, there's no doubt about it. If there's anything that you can hold on to in your life in the midst of every battle that you go through, every temptation that comes your way, every disappointment, every ache and every pain and every sorrow is the understanding that no, our king is coming back. We are in a temporary time here where our king has gone. We're to be about his business at this point in time in our lives with the full knowledge, with the full understanding that at any moment, at any day, our king will return. That word that's used for occupy or to do business has the idea of to do work with or to trade with or to do business with or to be busy with. Whatever the translation, it's the idea of you need to advance, you need to to prosper within this kingdom's work. There's the expectation of the king that the gift that he had given to each one of his servants would be used to the benefit of the kingdom. That you take this and you use it for the benefit of the kingdom. Now before we go too much deeper into this issue, we need to see that there's more people involved here than these 10 servants. There are also those who wouldn't accept the lordship of the king. They wouldn't allow him to reign over them. Look in verse 14. Verse 14 says, but his citizens hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. It's interesting as Jesus tells his parable, they're still his citizens. It's just like all people are his creation right now but all of creation doesn't receive his lordship over their lives. They're still his citizens. He still has authority and charge over them, even though they don't receive it, they don't bow down to it, they reject it, the authority is still there. He is still the king over them. They felt that they wanted to control their own lives by following their own wishes, by seeking after their own desires, by looking toward their own plans. They felt like they had control over their destiny. And isn't that the way the world thinks right now, outside of Christ? I'm the one that's got control of my destiny. I'm the one that makes the choices in my life. I'm planning, I'm purposing, and I've got this goal in mind. I'm the one that's steering my ship. I'm the captain of my own vessel. That's what the world thinks. But the thing is, is again, the king is in charge. The authority over all men is the Lord Jesus, whether they accept him or not. And they stand there like a six-year-old with his hands on his hips, looking up at his parents and saying, you're not the boss of me. Maybe you've never experienced that, but I tell you what, when you see a little one with that kind of an attitude, and you're the parent, you say, I'll, I'll. <laughs> we need to have a tanning session right here, yeah. I guess they don't do that anymore. It's gonna, go sit on the naughty step. Uh, but anyway, that's a whole nother message. We're not going there, okay. They're not gonna get away with it. That, that kind of a mindset before the king, you're not gonna get away with. 
The king will deal with disobedience, with rebellion. Here, Jesus speaks of the consequences. Now, he'll speak about that later on in this parable, but at this point, we have these two groups of people. We have the king's servants. They are his servants. And then we have those who have rejected the king, okay? We can look at these, and we're gonna see, again, how he deals with those that reject him once he returns in his glory. But for right now, everyone waited with this anticipation that he's coming back. Some waited in the midst of their activity, in the midst of their ministry, while others just simply waited. I'm gonna do whatever I want to do, live whatever way that I want to live because he has no authority over me. But then, beloved, the king returned. Look in verse 15. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, He then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. This is the time of accountability. This is the time of coming and standing before the Lord and saying, what have you done with your life? There's no denying the focus. There's no denying the reality that there is an accountability for every believer, for the believers, for you and I as believers. It's called the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne of judgment. No, that's the throne that determines the loss over the saved. And if your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, at that point in time, you enter into eternity, a Christless eternity, But here at the judgment seat of Christ, also called the Bema seat, it is a time that every believer is going to be judged. You might say, well, pastor, wait a minute. No, no, they told me that if I came to Christ, I wouldn't be judged. They lied to you. Uh, (laughs) You are not gonna be judged, not in a salvation, non-salvation situation, but your works are going to be judged. What have you done with what the Lord has given you? what the Lord has blessed you with. Speaking about that judgment, Paul writes to the church in Rome. You don't need to turn there, but you can write it down and look at it later. Romans chapter 14, verse 10, Paul writes to the church there, and he says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul throws himself in that same bucket. All of us are gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In verse 12, he says, so then every one of us is going to give an account of himself to God. Every one of us. Speaking to the believers in Corinth, he writes to them about the same subject matter. And he states in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 10, he says, for we, and again, throwing himself in the same bucket, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Yes, Christian, there is a time of judgment even for the Christians, not a salvation, non-salvation issue. This is an issue dealing with rewards for all of eternity. It deals with our standing for all of eternity. Some are going to be rewarded greatly because they have run the race with perseverance and endurance and faithfulness. Others, 
their reward is not going to be the same. And this is what this parable speaks about. So again, upon the king's return, one of his first orders of business is to look at the accountability of the servants. And one of the things you might notice right off is that although there were originally 10 servants that received the gifts and that were told to go and do business until I come, there's only three of them here that are accounted for in this parable. I don't think it has to do with anything other than these three simply come out as a sample or as an example really of all the servants. Somewhere within these three, every one of us are going to fall into a place here. So again, as we look at this in verse 16, he says that the first one came saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And so the king had said to him, well done, good servant. Because you are faithful in very little, have authority over 10 cities. Okay, now this is the guy I want running my retirement account, okay? <laughs> he, he's taken this and, and he's increased it a thousand percent. What the Lord had given him, one mina, has now become 10 minas, a thousand percent increase. The second guy, he didn't do too shabby either. In verse 18, we see, and the second one came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. And likewise, the master said to him, you also, you'll be over five cities. I don't think any of us would complain getting a 500% return on our investment, amen? <laughs> and here's what this guy did. Not as much as the other guy, but he's still not too shabby, not too bad of a work. Even the king was pleased with this one's, again, his commitment, his investments. Now you need to see, at this one, he didn't say, well done, good servant. But he did bless him, he did reward him. The king was pleased enough with this man's faithfulness in caring for the king's resources and blessings that he was rewarded and he was rewarded proportionate to the increase that he made for the king. Now we come to that third servant. Look at verse 20. Then the other one came, another came and saying, Master, here's your mina, which I've kept put away in a handkerchief because I feared you, because I knew that you were an austere man. You collect what you do not deposit, and you reap what you do not sow. Wow. The servant, again, he had received the exact same thing as all the other servants. Every one of them received one mina. There's no word in this parable of there being any kind of a problem, any less of a capability within this man's life. He simply chose to not be faithful in what the master had called him to do. He particularly chose that he was not going to do business with it. And apparently he was fearful of failure at this point in time. Afraid that he would not be able to, to be of any profit to the master, we don't know. We do know, I believe, that there was a fear just from the words that he used, and those words caused him not to move forward. And beloved, the same thing happens to you and I. Whatever the cause of fear might be in our lives, it'll stabilize us, it'll keep us from moving, it'll keep us from prospering, it'll keep us from going forward in the kingdom because we're afraid we're going to make a mistake, we're afraid we're gonna say the wrong thing, we're gonna do the wrong thing, we're gonna commit to the wrong thing. And rather than seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit within our lives, we stay, again, paralyzed 
the Lord has gifted us, the Lord has blessed us, and yet we're not using those blessings for his kingdom's sake. Perhaps we're fearful because of what the world will say or what the world will do. Ron is going to share with his Wednesday night some things about persecution, but the fact is you and I don't know persecution here. We really do not know persecution. Oh, we might have a family member or a friend or a coworker that says, oh, you're one of those. Then we go away with our head bowed down because we've been persecuted for Jesus. No, we don't know what persecution truly is. hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.